Mini episode 1097 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1097. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris. We have one of our favorite guests back with us here today. This is a gentleman that we've had on many times on the show, often but not always talking NFL. That's going to be our subject today. Uh, The NFL New Year has just begun. Uh, Happy NFL New Year, everyone. And uh, as I've been saying, to my friends in Cleveland uh, this week, uh, Merry Bexmas, because uh, the, the biggest news out of the bunch, and uh, again, as I indicated to this gentleman off air, I don't think it's just me being a biased lifetime Browns fan, Odell Beckham Jr. to the Browns. We will get thoughts on that and much, much more from, as I say, one of our favorite recurring guests, Mike Harmon of Fox Sports Radio. Of course, you can catch him every night with Jason Smith, 7 to 11 Pacific Time, and, of course, Sunday mornings as well, 6 to 10 Pacific time. And uh, as I have alluded to in the past, uh, I have earned, I'm sure, uh, many a stern frown from my pastor for uh, coming into church a little bit late on Sunday mornings because I'm in the car and I just got to stick around to hear a little bit more. And, uh, again, uh, any show he's on is better for it. And uh, we always love having him here, Mike Harmon. Mike, welcome back to the show, my man. How are you today? That is a long intro. I'm going to have you be my hype man up and down Santa Monica Boulevard, maybe get a little sandwich board to go along with it, really, uh, promotion. No, fun times this past week, just fast and furious, the action, uh, sometimes the head on the swivel, more than a few double takes at the dollars and cents, but in the end, it's not my money, go have fun with it. Exactly, yeah. I, I do pride myself on my hype man skills, by the way, so thank you for noting. That was good. No, I, I like that. <laughs> thank you. And, uh, you know, let's just go inside the process. Let's go inside your shoes for a second here, Mike. On a week like this, when you've got news breaking, a day like Wednesday, that's the day that it's official, that the the, the signings can begin. And you've got the tampering period earlier in the week, but then you've got the Beckham news happening uh, earlier in the evening. And uh, when when you're getting ready to go on air and you're the first show that kind of comes in clean after a lot of this stuff has, has happened, you're not having to reflect on it on the air, but you're digesting what's happened in the previous few hours. What's that like? That's got to be an incredible adrenaline rush. Oh, no, there's no question about it. I mean, because you, you look at it, the, the way it paced through, at least for this week, and then years past, much the same, is you prepare a number of topics because you're not sure if you're going to get the big fish that land, right? I mean, there, there's no guarantee that a bunch of this stuff goes down right away. There might be a little more to the gestation period, more rumors and conjecture. Uh, I remember when Jay Glazer was on our show Super Bowl week, and he, he told us this might happen, uh, that there might be uh, an Odell Beckham Jr. trade. That He reiterated it with his column at The Athletic a few weeks ago, and then it, it finally starts to percolate, and it comes to, to fruition uh, on the show of Adam Ars, uh, the odd couple, Rob Parker and Chris Broussard, get first crack at that one. 
but you, you're sitting there and you, and you have all these ideas of what your show is going to be. And then, you know, we're communicating over the course of the day, Jason and I, have, hey, here's a couple of fun things for 45s. Here's a, you know, try to put a little bit of a skeleton together. And then all of a sudden, a big deal like that blows up. And what you have is uh, a grid that now becomes, all right, what kind of spider effect can we have? How many legs can we get out and angles can we get out of a, a move like this? Um, you know, to put it in perspective, the, the week prior, with Antonio Brown and the rumor to Buffalo happened when I was on air. Jason happened to be out with a, a switch because he was going to do the morning show. He's going to fill in for Dan Patrick. So I had Dan Byer, my usual Sunday partner, with me, and that news comes down. Everything we prepared was gone. We had a whole show laid out, uh, one or two holes of, all right, let's see what works and, and how we're feeling and if anything happens in any of the NBA games. And, and, and all of a sudden, we get the... Antonio Brown's going to Buffalo News. It's like, whoa, okay, and it's NFL Network. So anything that goes that far means they're probably pretty close to to something you know being consummated. So what did we do? Grab the sheet of paper and immediately just started spitballing ideas during a commercial break, sipping down coffee and trying to figure it out. What does it mean for the AFC North? What does it mean for the Steelers? What does it mean for the Bills? What does it mean for these teams that didn't get him? Oakland and Green Bay and some of these other teams that were on the fringes of the rumor mill. We came up with no fewer than 14 ideas in about five minutes of what we could spend, plus the fantasy angle. You know, you just go through it, and, and that's the type of process you're doing here. When, you know, Jason and I were on air when the, the Le'Veon Bell news became final. Well, Jason, being a Jets fan, that became my personal hell for the next two hours. <laughs> yep. but, it, but it also gave us a number of angles. Okay, what does it mean? Can't wait to see what the money looks like, given that he sat out a year and go through. What does it mean for Sam Darnold? What does it mean the Steelers? Yes, they have James Conner, but going forward to for them, what does that locker room look like, etc. And you do the same process, right? There's always an extra sheet of paper there just so you can communicate within it we haven't quite figured out a good hand signal uh thing so you just write notes to each other and try to push from there but it, it definitely kept the wheels spinning and a lot of adrenaline and you just wanted to keep going yeah on a day like that i can understand why and uh, as far as it goes with the uh the jets there yeah i uh, i trolled a, a buddy of mine on facebook who's a jets fan I said, oh, you decided to give him the Albert Pujols, I'll pay you for what you did for somebody else contract. So I don't think Jason would be appreciating that take very much. No, hey, it works, you know, because, I mean, there, there's certainly, there's good and bad with it, right? If you look at the numbers yeah. that, you know, and especially as they came out today, in the end you're looking at $26 million for three years because we still have to include the year he didn't play because he didn't right. get a salary. Mm-hmm. So did he win? No, he didn't win. And anybody that tries to spin it otherwise, he may feel good about himself taking on the league and and the process and didn't want to be around Pittsburgh. What, whatever the angles were, and, and only Le'Veon Bell uh, is ever going to really know everything that went into his decision, no matter how many interviews he does or his agent spins it going forward. But the reality is you, you paid a, a pretty penny for a guy who has had some you know, drug test issues, who's had a couple of big injuries, and has had a lot of miles put on his odometer. However, when you look at the way the Jets are set up, you don't really have a number one wide receiver. So you bring in a guy that can catch 70 to 80 balls. Uh, as long as you can figure out your offensive line, and I think that's really still where the question lies, 
you know, because Robbie Anderson in his second-round tender isn't exactly going to scare anybody off. Uh, solid, they've got a bunch of solids, but they're all number two or number three guys, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Le'Veon Bell coming in there, you know, at that price, not prohibitive and not as problematic. But the scary thing is, when we get to, you know, year two or year three, are we looking at another situation whereby, you know, Le'Veon Bell's threatening to hold out? whereby he's, you know, looking for another big pay rise. Say he puts up the numbers he did in 2017, two more years. Year three of that deal, he's probably looking to re-up, right? And yeah. probably force the issue again. So that that's the only cautionary tale. If that means in the two years, maybe you, you go and, and you ascend somewhere, because we're assuming they're still chasing the New England Patriots in the process, that's fine. But, you know, you might be two years further down the road, and yes, you've made a little bit of progress, but it hasn't really helped your team for the long term. I I think that's the cautionary tale for Jets fans, and certainly one I tried to portray to Jason Smith. But he was having none of it, because visions of Sam Darnold vanquishing the Patriots, much like the uh, statues of St. Michael taking down Satan that you see in cathedrals across (laughs) this great world of ours, I think that's kind of the vision that... uh, well, uh, again, uh, ever since the return of the Browns, and substantially well before then, because regardless of what revisionists will tell you, the Belichick years here sucked. So for a long time, I've been in Jason <laughs> Smith's shoes. I understand that. I understand where he's coming from. Uh, and, and I'll get to that with the Browns in a second. But on a general sense with what you're talking about with some of these fantasy guys here, whether it be Bell, whether it be Brown, whether it be ODB, it, it feels like, I don't know, maybe this is recency bias. I try never to be prisoner of the moment, but but it seems like we're getting more fantasy blockbuster guys switching teams this time of year than usual. Yeah, no, this is absolutely true. I mean, you got guys, you know, there's, there's a lot of money out there. I mean, that's, that's one thing that no matter how you chop it up, you can go get paid wherever you are. Um, you know, you don't have to go to a big city. Everybody gets a giant cut of money out of the TV deals. So, you know, there's never a shortage of dollars and cents to make this work. Now it's just a, a question of can you get critical mass of those guys and hit on your draft picks to go. But, but certainly, you know, this this is going to be a great offseason to write, write up the changes that go through even today, a flurry of activity of players signing, but also a number of cuts of guys who might have had some fantasy relevance where they were. Uh, and, and you look at also the, the, the draft itself is going to shuffle a lot of guys around here. I mean, at least the first round is mostly defensive ends and defensive tackles, so maybe I'm, I'm not a lot of position guys shifting early. But yeah, it, it's nice to see the big names moving. And, and for the NFL, I think that's good for business to push the NBA back to the second level, at least for a couple more days. Yeah, yeah, it really has happened that way. It's, it's totally worked out to where uh, it's the NFL that's on everybody's lips this week, and justifiably so, and it will probably continue to do to be the same for a couple of days out, even from when we're taping this. But it's a thing where when you look at it, again, I felt like you hit it right on the mark on Twitter when you were talking about this uh, on on both sides of the equation when you were saying that you were high on the Browns even before this signing because whether you look at the immediate 24 hours, Sheldon Richardson coming in and giving this team, you got to say one hell of a front four right now. Uh, The Vernon deal the week before, tough to break up that offensive line, but you get a legit pass rusher on the other side. You've already got Ogan Joe be there who's terribly underrated right now and Miles Garrett who's a beast when healthy which he's been 
the, the bulk of his pro career, which was a worry coming in. So you were right that it wasn't, it didn't take something like this for the Browns to legitimately be a threat because it's been building for a while. Uh, but then also potentially being a little overvalued at this point. I mean, I hate to admit that, but yeah, I mean, looking at it now, I, I certainly think they're a playoff team. I think that it will be a disappointment as a Browns fan if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, and I'd say win the North at this point. The way the North is coming back to them, it seems like at the speed of light. So it, it, it's really kind of interesting that now the national folks are kind of jumping on the bandwagon of the Browns and what they're going to do. I expect the Browns to be in prime time the maximum number of times next year, but you may be right. When you're looking at the Vegas odds and what is it, 7-1, to one, I think, to win the AFC, we may be getting just a shade ahead of ourselves here. This team has to actually go out, put it together, and develop the chemistry to be as good on the field as they are on paper. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the big thing. you got a lot of movement, and it's a lot of excitement. I mean, even, even adding another tight end, right, another red, red zone yep. tight end coming in from Kansas City. So, I mean, you, you got a lot of talent. Now it's a matter of making it gel, and, and I think everybody loves, at least on some degree, uh, Baker Mayfield. You know, some may derive the, the brashness, the boldness. They want their quarterback to just nod and smile like all quarterbacks have. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's got for year two now that you've – kind of uh, unleashed it. I mean, Dorsey, we knew from a, a talent evaluation level, you were going to have a significant upgrade coming into last year. Uh, it was just a question of how much the ownership would hamper him. And for now, it would appear he's being allowed to build the team he wants to build, which is absolutely uh, amazing to watch You know, Cleveland, at least on paper, shift from where they were for all those years and being the laughing stock. You know, I caution folks, you know, as we were talking about, uh, well, whether Josh Rosen's able to get out of Arizona, say, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, when during the whole Antonio Brown thing, said, hey, be careful what you wish for. You realize there, Larry Fitzgerald came in in 2004, there have been 16 starting quarterbacks for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah including Rosen, right? That's not too far off of what the Cleveland jersey is. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, everybody doing that. But to shift all the way to 17-1 to for the Super Bowl when you haven't really even gotten through that first phase of learning how to win and play off whatever, not to say you couldn't. I mean, again, look at all those players. Just a question of do you have enough footballs to go around when you're down for how you're feeding Landry, feeding Odell, feeding Njoku, getting Nick Chubb, and then – whenever Kareem Hunt's reinstated, plus Callaway. I mean, there's just, you know, you get excited about it, and then it's a function of, all right, do these guys all play nights over the course of a year? If you're winning, then it probably works. Uh, but I think everybody was also quick to kill off the Steelers. I'm not saying that Dante Moncrief solves, solves everything and slides right. in immediately in a one-for-one, but you know, they would be up bouncy, they'd be up foster. Offensive line's going to be just as formidable as it has been. And James Connors, no slouch. So I, I don't see them simply retreating into the good night. I would agree with that. And again, James Washington is a guy that I really liked in the draft last year. So I wouldn't rule out that he, along with Moncrief, uh, could help fill the shoes of Smith Schuster as he steps up to become a number one at this point. Uh, and basically, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for Smith Schuster to at least be a poor man's Antonio Brown. Can either one of those two guys at least be a poor man's Smith Schuster? I, I wouldn't rule it out either, Mike. Now, Washington's got some uh, tremendous upside. I loved him uh, there coming into the, the year of this past year, a little bit of injuries, and then just trying to, you know, number three receivers. You know, how do you get used? Um, 
maybe you look at what the rest of the valuation is, right? A guy like Tyrell Williams heads over to Oakland and gets $11 million a year. Once again, to get it, that's put a member of the Chargers as a number three. So, right. uh, same thing here. Washington will see more balls his way, uh, and hopefully that just the consistency of reps and opportunities down the field leads to big things. I would agree, and a name that you mentioned a minute ago, I, I want to just uh, go back to that for a second here, because not enough people are talking about it. Everybody's talking about uh, bringing in Kareem Hunt and, and what that's going to do, and everybody's acting like that's a monster upgrade. You know, this might be a hot take outside of Cleveland, but I, I don't know that he's an upgrade over Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb showed last year, Mike, that he got the burst back. That's a guy where, he, you, when you looked at him at Georgia and you thought, boy, if he ever fully recovers to what he was before the knee injury, you know, those guys are unicorns, right? The, the, the power backs with that kind of speed. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that Kareem Hunt is, is an upgrade over Nick Chubb. It might be a hot take to say I don't think he is. I, I'd still take him if he's uh, reformed his uh, issues and whatnot. But uh, this, this notion that the Browns automatically upgraded there, I'm not sure I agree with that. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, and then it becomes a, a split. You're, I mean, you're not going to replace Chubb. Right. You know, I mean, it's now figuring out how to work them in tandem. Right. Uh, Nick Chubb was fantastic, and I think that was one thing lost. As much as everybody loved on Baker Mayfield, yep. I, I don't think Chubb got the got the credit for the type of year he was having. Why? Because we get sucked into the quarterbacks uh, all the time. So I, I think that's one of the one of the big things taking away from this. Uh, and it'll be just curious how those two mesh in a backfield. Right on paper, it looks great, but if you suddenly taking four touches from one guy and adding them to the backup and or tandem or one B or whatever the hell we're calling it. Right. Uh, when they split, you know, how, how does Nick Chubb work with that? Right. How does Kareem Hunt work with that? Like those are the guy, type of things that, you know, as we sat there and but you know, my my tag team partner, Mr. Smith, was trying to look at Odell being a guy who could be disruptive and become a problem and that, and that certainly may be the case sure. for all the love stories that everybody's telling about what a guy is and he might be the greatest guy in the world he's had some issues uh that have been well chronicled in terms of discipline and uh insubordination and calling out quarterbacks or whatever i don't know that that necessarily works if you go do that after baker mayfield that suddenly can become an issue but you also have to make sure the other guys are getting what they need and it's going to be on Freddie Kitchens, you know, it's going to be like, to a degree like a college team, you know, making sure you're managing this or on the grander scale a little bit and, and maybe hyperbole here and maybe I'm, I'm, you know, succumbing to what's been going on and maybe it's hot take theater. But, you know, to the detriment, uh, you know, of the argument of the legacy of a guy like Phil Jackson, it's like all he did was manage egos. Well, you know what, he did it pretty well with a lot of titles. Freddie Kitchens on a smaller scale He's going to have a little bit of that even with all the star power that's assembled. I agree with that, but uh, when you look at it, and, and as a Browns fan, I agree with what you said, but I'm not troubled by it because the number one reason he got that job, I mean, he, he works very well with people. He's got a high emotional IQ, and coming in after Hugh Jackson, that's incredibly important. Uh, but, but again, the mad scientist stuff, when you've got teams, when you're an interim offensive coordinator and you've got teams around the league who are copying you as they were the second half of the season, this guy's running wishbone stuff, whatever, like, that's what you got to love about Freddie Kitchens, whether you're a Browns fan or not. Like, he doesn't care if, it, if you think it might sound stupid or look stupid, he's going to try it. So having a mad scientist with all these weapons, you don't even have to be a Browns fan to say this is going to be entertaining as hell. Yeah, but here becomes the question, is 
is he the same guy now that the interim tag's off? Interesting. Time yeah. will time will tell, right? Interim right. tag, you're, you may not have the expectations, which means you may go to that 36 page in the playbook and just say, hey, let's wing this one out and see what happens. Once it's your job to lose, maybe there's a little bit of shift of philosophy and aggressiveness, especially given the uh, veritable... Uh, what do we want to call it, the carousel yeah. that the coaching job had been for many years there. Uh, perhaps you're, you're, not, uh, you're not running the same way when, when Haslam's got the finger on the button of your career now as opposed to an interim tag. Interesting point. Uh, a little depressing for me as a Browns fan, but an interesting point. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, you know, it's, Sorry, didn't, well, didn't mean to bring down yeah, the part No, again, no. So, but here, here's the, the, really the baseline to it. Yeah is that you can be excited about Cleveland Browns football, and that's what Baker gave you for a, a half a year with Freddie sure. Kitchens, sure. enough to get him the job. When did you say before that? Manziel arriving just out of morbid curiosity of what that was going to become? Right. And when they, um, you know, and when they got back to Cleveland. Right. I mean, that, that's it. You've got two times uh, in, in the last 20 years where we've talked about Cleveland Browns football like this. That's right. That's right. It, that's it's been limited to this. And interesting little nugget here. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if too many people outside of Cleveland know this. Freddie Kitchens' neighbor in Shaker Heights, Ohio, none other than Geraldo Rivera. Th- those must be some nice. interesting times in the basement, uh, sipping a, fru- a few brews. I I, I could just imagine those two guys hanging out together. Did Geraldo ever come over with a film crew and try to go down into his wine <laughs> cellar or something? That would make a great TV special, would it not? But that there would. You go. Uh, Here we yeah. go. We got an old bottle of beer. <laughs> well, as, as we said, the NFL stuff uh, happening this week. I, I want to bring it around just to a few more things I know that have been on your radar this week. Uh, I'm not the only Cleveland guy you've talked to this week. Uh, a guy who was here for a long time, uh, Chris Haynes at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, uh, covering uh, Kyrie yes, Irvin sir. when he was in Cleveland uh, as well. And uh, really some fascinating thoughts. Uh, that you guys were able to get out of him as far as uh, what it was like to cover Kyrie, a very uh, enigmatic fella. I got to say, the enigmatic stuff was really kind of kept quiet the whole time Kyrie was here. There was a lot of now it can be told as soon as he left town, and Chris Haynes continues to uh, contribute to our uh, understanding of all the different layers of Kyrie Irving. Well, and I think that's one of the the big things. You know, we had the Adam Silver discussion you know, going into where where guys are and their, their questions of, you know, feeling in you know, isolated and securities and their mental states. And some folks kind of tried to push that off. But, you know, I, I think we've got a couple of prime examples of guys where you're watching ride the wave of emotions. you got Kyrie Irving in Boston and you got Kevin Durant uh, out in Oakland with the Warriors. There were two guys that, depending on the day, you know, the world may be collapsing on them at least in their perception. And then other days, you know, they're the king of the world. And they show you that. And with Kyrie Irving, you know, I, I think we've seen over the course of this season very difficult to come back into a team. A lot of first-round picks, a lot of guys with success and pedigree, and guys that won into the playoffs pretty deep without him and without Gordon Hayward a year ago. So for a veteran guy to try to find his place back in there, you say, ah, oh, it's easy. You assert yourself. You've got the ring. Maybe not quite so fast. Because everybody wants their touches. It goes back to what we were just talking about with the Browns, right? Is that you just, you know, you don't know how people are going to handle different situations when thrust into them. You hope for the best, but sometimes not quite. Uh, Chris, Chris B. Haynes on Twitter, 
Uh, I retweeted it at Swollen Dome, the, the article that we put out. But certainly just that, that roller coaster, even just in the last week, you saw it at the end of one loss where it looked like the world was shattered. And then they, they win a Thursday night game a week later. Smiles, hugs, you name it. Everybody's good. Yep. Great with the media again and, and back in front of the cameras. And, and look, we, we get behind the microphones and we theorize what's going on. And you try to talk to as many people as you can about that know these guys and cover them with some regularity. But, you know, everybody's got a mask they put on in, in a public persona. And sometimes you, you don't quite recognize that you may have forgotten it at your locker and you're showing what your true emotions are. You can't go stone face, even though you'd love to. And I think that's where Kyrie Irving sometimes gets caught, caught is that he does wear the heart on the sleeve to a bit, and the emotion ride, it goes through it. And maybe, maybe it didn't resonate quite as much when he was with Cleveland. Younger guys still kind of just going with it as, you know, everything's on the upswing, but then you hit a point between injuries and, and seeing the young guys on your own team and realizing, hey, my place in this world may not be what it once was and trying to figure out what's next, especially when you've got so many people whose job it is to try to speculate about what your next move is. That's one of the problems I have with the NBA. As much as I feed into it, but you, you got to go with what's hot and you know what's got people in it tongues wagging and excitement. We're talking more about 2019-2020 than we are the the season currently in process. Exactly. That's just the way it is in a superstar league where everybody's expected to move. Well, yeah, and you you are totally right about that. Uh, The NBA may be more so than any other sport, although the NFL's right up there as far as all the world's a stage. But that also applies to uh, other entertainment industries as well, and that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about because I know it was on your radar this week. Uh, the the actresses who were brought up in this whole uh, college admission scandal here, uh, you pointed out, I think justifiably so. Hey, nobody's talking about Bill Macy. He's married to Ms. Huffman there, and uh, you don't really hear his name out there very much. So uh, some folks manage to remain Teflon even when there's scandal swirling all around them. You know, did Bill Macy just not have any anything as part of it, right? Is, is you know where plausible deniability? By the way, yesterday was Bill Macy's 69th birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday, uh, Bill Macy! Great one. I, yeah, there you go. Uh, but that's the question, right? You know, it, like in every family, there's a there's a split of who handles what, and sometimes you know the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Maybe in this case, Bill Macy, there wasn't enough in terms of the process to say, hey, you're part of this, right? He, you know, the check comes out of whatever accounts, maybe they couldn't connect him directly. Uh, and as I tried to point out, I did a quick periscope when I first heard the news because it became all the rage here in L.A. because of, well, USC being part of that, yep. in addition to all the other scandals and problems that they have with the athletic program and going all the way through the university. You've got interim people in important jobs, Lynn Swan today, uh, or I should say uh, for the tape uh, process on Thursday, the talk that, you know, Lori Laughlin's husband on a plane with the then USC athletic director, be it Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan, going to Augusta. You know, so there, there's all those tentacles. And, and I just always raise my hand and just say, you know what, think about your own community. Think about how many kids may be going to the schools that aren't in district paying property taxes in the town you're in. Yep. But because mom and dad, 
they maybe they were there, but then they couldn't afford to stay in district, or maybe it's just an opportunity with grandma's maybe address, whatever. And not to simplify it and, and equate those to one to one. Here we're talking about defrauding and creating bogus charities and and things of that nature. You know, a lot of this is you know legacy. If you've been giving money to a university for 30 years after graduating or however many years, I'd like to think you get a little more treatment for your kid and a little more consideration if their scores are within the proper lines. Yep. Now, if you start making up uh, things that they did, well, I, I don't know, we've, we've hit a weird gray area. But certainly, you know, the, the idea that if you can help contribute to a college, because again, meritocracy is everybody wants to call it. So come on, there's shades of gray in all of it. Yep. You know, in terms in terms of an admissions process, because you're trying to find a well-rounded student body and make make it as diverse and, and inclusive as you can. And let's face it, not everybody peaks, you know, gets to their uh, near their ascent and finishing their ascent at age 17 or age 18. Like I knew kids who were absolutely brilliant in the classroom, but they were the worst test takers you'd ever see. Yep. They'd absolutely freeze up. I had a girl that I went to high school with straight A's, AP classes, you name it, absolutely bombed the ACT. Wow. Absolutely bombed it and shattered her world. She eventually got, you know, got to take it again and and did better. And with those test scores and everything she'd done, still, I think, went to the school she wanted to, or at least on the metal stand of, you know, her final choices. Okay. But... It was, the test was not reflective of who she was in a classroom. Sure. And so, likewise, you can have the outlier. I was a great test taker. I was pretty good in the classroom, but I'd sit down because I couldn't study for it. I mean, you could study for the type of question and everything else. I'd kick my feet up and have fun. Uh-huh. And did pretty well that way. Uh, everybody looks at those things a little differently. So, to say that there's one way to get to a proper college, and look, there's enough seats as long as you can pay the bills. Right. Or somebody, or the government, or you know, the loans and grants, or whatever. As long as the bills are getting paid, they can always add a plus one. Absolutely, There's no question about that. So I don't, I don't know that anybody's necessarily lost in this process in the consideration um, when you're getting down to it. But you know, I just remind folks all the way from the ground all the way up. There's, there's certain things in the flow of education. As much as look, this gets clean. It's like we get into this with college sports all the time. You want to talk about how green pure or whatever it is, uh, make sure you hold your nose while you're watching it. Excellent points. And, and again, while some of us might have been surprised by the nature of this when you're talking about glamorous Hollywood stars getting caught up in it, I think on a certain level we all know this kind of stuff is going on somewhere. And uh, the only uh, remaining thought I have on that is as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, it was flashing into my head, Bill Macy. Uh, I know it's a serious subject, but I just can't help but think, you know, if they bring him in to be interrogated, he starts going into that scene from Fargo and acting all nervous. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Yeah, no, I mean, between that, I know a couple of people had the gif of uh, the scene from Boogie Nights in the driveway. Yeah. And he walks up and he's got that forlorn look. I mean, there's there's a number of those. And and I think the best joke, and I, I wish I could give credit to the first guy that I saw that put it out, I guess this plays exactly like something one of his characters would be caught up in. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, we... and for those actresses, you know, it, 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 the, it, the sexy names, not to go into looks or whatever else, but, I mean, there's a lot of people of power and influence. You start going down that list, and, and let's face it, it's the tip of the iceberg. Bill Mickelson on, on Thursday afternoon released a statement, yeah, we hired this guy to help us in the process, but we're not part of any fraud. Our kids 
61 families. That's a lot of hedge fund managers. Wow. That's a lot of Silicon Valley CEOs and big-time moguls in Southern California. And here's the bigger thing. He's only one guy. What else is going on in the rest of the country? That's a great point. And, you know, and I've been thinking for the last day or so, this might be a thing where it fizzles at some point and we forget about it. But uh, you make an interesting point there. This could become the next Me Too uh, if more revelations about more people start dribbling out. Yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective, uh, and, and this is a little of the Periscope, uh, at Sloan Dome on, on Twitter, you go back in the timeline, uh, the, the quick Periscope thought is, I talked a little bit about my time before getting into the sporting world, is after graduating from Northwestern, I was uh, working in their financial aid office. That was my work-study job, uh, and they offered me a job upon graduation to work in the grad schools. So I helped Every, every year going through the process and as people were going to get admitted, I'd get to talk to them about what it would take to, to do things financially. Just to say, uh, you heard enough when you burst their bubbles of this being their lifelong dream, showing them what the debt level would be, and they'd start cursing at you. So no matter what you tell me about a hot take in sports, I can take it. Right. Because I was talking to people about their real lives, sure. uh, as opposed to their fictitious fantasy football teams or just their fandom about a team. I think it's you can tell me I, I suck, and usually people resort to on the fat. Great. Get creative. But the, the idea is that I, in that job, for the time I did it, I caught a number of people per, perpetrating frauds unlike any other with maximum, you know, 10, 15 years of prison time if it been prosecuted to the full extent. So I, I've certainly seen my share on that side of these schooling equations. I can only imagine how many books can be written about what happens in admissions. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And again, you've, you've probably gleaned a fair amount about that, like you said, from your experiences anyways, as far as what goes on in other parts of the system. But it's one of these things where, again, it, it's kind of a grim subject uh, to talk about. But, it, but again, it, it just brings it around to all the more important that we have these things to laugh and distract us about and entertain us about, uh, whether it be uh, anything that's going on in Hollywood or uh, our core content that we were talking about here tonight, the NFL and everything that's going on there. The bread and circuses, uh, Mike, it's uh, what helps us get through the day. Shows like yours that we can tune into, you and Jason Smith or you and Dan Beyer on Sundays. Uh, basically, that's what helps us get through uh, all of these real-life things that we're dealing with. That's it. In the end, try to find the laugh, find a little, little entertainment. And, well, for Smith and I in that final hour, hoping that we're helping people slide on over, baby. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. And, uh, of course, again, you guys on Fox Sports Radio, 7 to 11 Pacific time during the week, 6 to 10 Sunday mornings with uh, Dan Beyer, of course, at Swollen Dome on Twitter, SwollenDome.com, an excellent uh, site for uh, your own content. So always a pleasure, Mike Harmon. Uh, we never take it granted. We're always happy to have you here with us. Thank you so much for making time to break everything down today. Oh, anytime. Look forward to doing it again soon. we got a lot more free agents to go through. we got a lot more. We'll, we'll get to that and uh, many other subjects as well. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1097. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all clear channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, Various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine. 
Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 